Hi, welcome to Fighting to Win, the series where we share real stories from the front lines of the environmental justice movement. We're the Center for Health, Environment, and Justice, and we support activists around the country who are fighting against toxic chemical pollution in their communities. Most of them are everyday people who discovered toxics threatening their neighborhoods and decided to create the change that they need. Here at CHEJ, we connect communities to each other. So when COVID-19 hit, we launched a webinar series to bring organizers, activists, and community leaders together despite the distance. These conversations have been rich and inspiring, and now we want to share them with you as a reminder that we are together in this fight. And not just that, but we are fighting to win. Subscribe to Fighting to Win now, wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you for being with us. So thanks for joining us. Um, and I have a quick question. Help our audience find out who you are and, and where your place is. Where, where are you coming from and what makes you guys do what you're doing? What are you fighting? So we are fighting uh, the Westlake Landfill site in St. Louis, Missouri. And um, we learned about this site in 2012 after attending a meeting that the Army Corps of Engineers was cleaning up another site, not too far from Westlake, um, and had learned that I personally had been exposed to radioactive waste growing up as a child. Wow. Um, particularly the waste comes from the Manhattan Project era. So um, after attending that meeting, I learned that I was raising my own four kids now 1.8 miles away from a burning radioactive landfill um, the, the fire had been burning since 2010. I've been raising my kids here for the past 20 plus years. So um, I have four kids. Three of them are grown. One just graduated from mm-hmm. high school. And I have grandchildren. And um, we've just been working on promoting and educating awareness about the Western Plains. Yeah. So, Don, how did you get involved? I mean, we obviously know how Karen got involved. She was living with it. What happened yeah. with you? Same thing. Karen and I were neighbors and didn't even know. We lived like right around the corner from each other from year for years. And um, but I I found out because I could smell the um, toxins from the fire that were coming out. And I put a call in to the local municipality, and it led me. Um, they didn't want to even answer any questions, and I knew wow. then. I thought, oh God. And they sent me to um, the state regulator, which was the Department of Natural Resources. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I actually could not get this guy to get off the phone with me. Like, he was just pouring information out about it. And he really was panicked. And I thought, this is is a big deal. And so, um, you know, it, it, um, his level of, of how frightened he was. And he said, he said, you know, there could be an explosion. There could be a, you know, a dirty bomb. He used all sorts of things to describe what could happen if the fire hit the waste. And I thought, why, first of all, you know, why was I even allowed to buy a house next to a Superfund site? Why wasn't I told? Why wasn't that disclosed? So I had three little kids. Um, That was seven years ago. My kids are now um, 10 12 and 14 and my oldest has just been diagnosed with um an autoimmune disease type 1 diabetes so 
it's it's been a heck of a fight and trying to do that with them i mean we really are just moms you guys win this fight i mean you won the fight there there are so few people out there that actually can say and we know a win is not a win like right. a baseball game or a soccer game or a hockey game but you know you were able to do it what what set you apart what did you guys do that others can learn from i mean the whole purpose is sort of leaders you know kind of sharing lessons like what what are some of the big we learnings? reached out right karen yeah, yeah i think uh most importantly um we used the connections that we had both Dawn and I being involved with um, PTAs in school and whatnot mm -hmm. uh, prior to finding out about the issue. So we literally started one family at a time, wow. sitting down and showing them documents that we had read, getting documents um, from the fire department and whatnot about the fire. And um, it, it was really, I would say we've spent probably the first two and a half years just educating i mean we 24 hours a day dawn and i were just going through documents learning what we could learn and then taking that out into the community and building relationships with um other community leaders mm -hmm. and i think you know you really have to look at you know knowing that you have to educate first and then reaching out to those people that need to be educated as well, that play a vital role in your community, um, being elected officials, um, hospital, school district, fire department, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. you have to make those connections because you have to start building your army. And right. you have to, because this is, this is a fight and we need an army. And, um, you know, we have- but You aren't you are trained for military. So, so, so like, okay, so you, so you have your folks, you got your allies, you're going to meet these highfalutin elected officials or, you know, EPA reps. I mean, were you nervous? Were you like, how did you get over that? Well, how did you get over it? I think your fear, I think when you start hearing like your fire department and your um, Department of Natural Resources, even EPA, when you start hearing people that are in positions of power, that really um, look at this site and say, oh, holy crap, this is bad. You know, I think your fear of what those toxins are going to do to your kids and what they're doing to you and what they could do to people you love within your community, I think that is such a, I mean, even now talking about, like, I can feel my anxiety. You're so afraid of that, that that just trumps any anxiety you might have of, you know, I mean, I think you know. that and then also reminding ourselves that, hey, these are just people, you know, we're not going to let them intimidate us because they have a title or ABCs after their name. Right. Um, you know, you have to go into it knowing that you have to be confident and that you're just having a conversation with someone else that may not know about the issue. Uh -huh. And we're not really scary people. We don't. Oh, I don't know. There are a number of politicians who say. Please don't bring those just moms back to Washington D.C. They're <laughs> really scary ladies, and and you're 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 you also are moms, like you said. Yeah. In the so so how do you how do you manage that? You got kids here. You got um, you know soccer games there. You got to go to Washington D.C. You have to get in. Like how did you manage all of those good yes. good husband support? Yeah. <laughs> and also though being honest about our struggles you know even with the elected officials we never walked in there and pretended that we were I mean you know they saw us coming with our goodwill dresses and our uh -huh. shabby I mean we never 
we never put on airs. I guess that's what I'm trying to mm -hmm. say. We never pretend that we're anything that we're not. Uh -huh. And um, I think by letting them see our families and our struggles, I think that's what scared the heck out of them because they thought, okay, so these girls are not afraid. These moms are not afraid to miss a PTA meeting. They're not afraid. You know what I'm saying? They truly mm -hmm. will do what they need to do to protect these kiddos. They will make that sacrifice. Uh -huh. Right. And I feel so like that, the, the mama bear syndrome. Right, right. exactly. Like, like they're not going to go away. No, there's no money. There's nothing we can throw at them that's going to shut them up. They want what they want, and it's right what they want. They should want what they want, which is our kids to be safe. Yeah. So tell me a funny story. Funny story that happened during your activism in some way that, that you know, it's not all hard work. Sometimes it's just darn funny. Oh, I think the funniest stories that we have are just anytime Dawn and I go somewhere, we are so directionally challenged. And we were supposed to be, I believe it was one of your meetings, Lois, we were supposed to be in this building at this meeting and the Uber guys, you know, dropped us off and says, okay, well, here you go. You're at it. And we're looking around and looking around and we're like, this is not it. And so I brought it up on my map quest on the little walking thing. Right. And so it's telling us to walk one way. Now we're dragging all of our luggage. And we walked every, Washington, DC. We walked every direction and just pretty much if there was a stoop, we would have been sitting on it going, Oh my God, where is this? And it was right behind us. Um, the whole time. Uh -huh. But I mean, just stories like that, you know, just we have so many. Yeah. <laughs> For me, potty training my kids, like that, I literally, like when I first got involved in this in 2012-13, that is right when my youngest was potty training, and I cannot even tell you, parents, <laughs> how many times we'd be on a conference call with EPA, and he'd be hollering for me from the bathroom, because I was like just quietly <laughs> slipping in Cheerios and books, and no, oh, you can't get up until you go, and I went, I went. And, you know, or something, and I'm like, I'm sorry, my kid's potty training, and they would just laugh. I think I did that with Stephen one time, and Stephen felt so bad, he's like, I'm a grandpa. I'm a grandpa. I get it. <laughs> oh, it's, it's kind of interesting, right? So so we have all these, these things going on in our lives as moms trying to do this, and, you know, I, I think you said it at one point, Dawn, or maybe it was Karen, that you shouldn't apologize to the EPA on the phone because your kid is yelling, I'm done, I'm done, and I want my reward. I used to give M&Ms. I don't know what you gave your kids. And, and you know, great. <laughs> it was like, they, you know, they should apologize. That's right. You shouldn't apologize for interfering, for, for disrupting your life by, you know, whatever they're doing exactly. or, not, or not doing the case may be right we learned that later on you know um i think and i don't think it took too quick for that to sink in because i, I think in the beginning you know we really did think this was just going to be a couple of months that we were going to be done you know we one of the things i think you had said in the beginning that stuck with us that even now i was thinking the other night you know forget everything you thought you knew about how change happens you know and i thought that is one thing that like, you know, we just didn't, we had no idea that seven years later, and of course we're happy we won, but it's still, we're still involved. And that, you know. That won't go away. No, it won't. We know that now though. Yeah. So, so what would you tell somebody who was just getting started, who, who was talking to that dude 
who was giving them all the information about the landfills on fire. There's radioactive. It could be a, uh, what was it, a Chernobyl-like event. Yeah. Um, all those kind of things. What would you tell somebody who was like, oh my gosh, what do I do with this? What do I do with all of this? Where do I go? Because we just you were actually, all there. Just actually experienced that last night with the phone call that Don got. Yeah. yeah. What was that? What did you tell him, Don? What was the question? What did you tell him? So it was another um, area in West Virginia that's dealing with PCEs. And I mean, I, you know, joking, but not really joking. I tell them, find a Karen, find a Karen Nickel, find, find somebody. I, I find, we don't isolate yourself within this fight. Find yourself a group, find somebody that you can really, um, trust and, and and count on to um as you're fighting this you know not just to help you with the fight but to be able to be honest with you and say hey you need a little bit of a break let me take this for a little while because you know be, because that i think has been one of the things that's let us do this for seven years but i also um you know to live and video everything and to make sure that um Every question you ask these agencies, I think everybody benefits from getting to hear the question and getting to hear the answers, you know? So anytime you can do like a this, a Zoom or a public meeting with EPA, there's no reason EPA can't host a Zoom. Of course they can, everybody else is doing it right now. Make sure that they do not divide the community, you know, that you guys are steadfast. And I think the last thing, which is something that you very much taught us is have a goal. What do you want to see happen at the end of all this, you know, and be prepared that should you achieve it, it validation doesn't feel like you think it's going to feel, you know, it, it really is weird, you know, because unfortunately, I think in our situation and others, I think when, when you hear an agency finally admit that there's a problem, it isn't that you have suddenly opened their eyes to it. They've known it the whole time. You've just created with your activism an environment to where you put enough pressure on them that they have to admit it. Yeah. And that's the upsetting thing is they're sitting in front of you going, yes, yes, this is dangerous. Yes, this can hurt your kids. And then you look back seven years and you're like, you knew this the whole time. You knew it the whole time. I was talking to you and I was potty training my kid. You knew this, this could hurt him. Only now are you admitting it. And it's not because you just found out. I think my advice would be um, to make sure you strategize, to make sure that you stay on task when you go into a meeting and everyone knows exactly what part of the, of the topic that you're going to talk about belongs to you and you stay within your time frame um, because otherwise you get railroaded and you're often listening to, you know, agencies talk more than you and whatnot. And, um, you really need to make sure you have a plan when you go into a meeting, have a conference call, no matter what it is, um, talking to the media, also doing a lot of role playing, having some, some other person like Don mentioned, you know, we have each other and Don does a lot of our press. So it is constant role playing, um, you know, just really kind of badgering her with questions and whatnot that she is capable of answering and, and, Finding that one-liner, because as you know, media doesn't 
want to hear the long story. They want to hear that one-liner. So you really have to strategize and make sure that that one-liner is going to get into that story, and it's going to be the message that you want to be promoting. Yeah, actually, an interesting thing, because I remember, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll end here and then open it up for people who are, who are uh, listening and joining us this, this afternoon to, to also ask you some questions. But I remember when uh, EPA was coming and you had like 36 people doing three-minute testimonies that is sort of like what you were saying, Karen, it was well-focused and so forth. And, and so the thing that, that I thought was interesting is that they said, some people said, it's so much clearer when I only do three minutes as opposed to seven. Yes. Yes. That's amazing, yes. isn't it? I mean, just that little bit of staying on task and focused really gets your message out, and you really feel pretty confident that you got your message out. That's right. You know you've been heard, and you know that what they've heard is exactly what you needed and wanted them to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think it does, it doesn't bog it down, right? So you because and your your fellow you can divide the whole thing up with those things, which is what I think you guys did brilliantly, really. Right. So so we're going to I'm going to thank you for this part that I had this special time with you, uh, and then we're going to open it up and we're going to let other people. Join us in this conversation. Right. Aren't they dynamic? They are, they are so cool. So there was one comment about uh, in, the, in the chat that I always cringe when I hear just moms. Not to criticize, but they are more powerful than any entities in the environmental fights. And it really is so true. You know, that just moms is sort of a contradiction of the fact that it's just unbelievably powerful. Um, and, and not just not just the Just Bums, but women all across this country uh, at CHEJ, we work with thousands of groups and 80% of them are led by women. And 80% of them are led by women just like you all, you know, balancing family, balancing children, uh, doing all of that kind of stuff. So, so I, have a, I have one question and then we can go to this. So one of the questions that, that someone asked was, what when you when you said that forget everything you learned about how change happens i think don said that um one of the questions that community leaders have all the time is if we just prove that we have a health problem here and there's radioactive waste or there's smoke because you had both the fire and the radioactive that 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 proof that scientific proof would actually create the situation in which the government or those in authority will respond um, adequately and whatever that whatever that means whether that means evacuation whether it means putting a fire out whatever it means is that is that something that would that sounds true to you and what your experience was at the Bridgeton landfill or West Westlake I think so this is Don can you hear me mm -hmm. yeah I think that um, for so long and I think in the beginning and, and from other women in other communities that we've spoken with, I think that, you know, you go around and you educate because you assume that they don't know about the problem. And sometimes they don't. But within the agencies and certainly within the elected officials, um, I know for us, we thought this would be really easy. All we had to do was prove that there was an issue, prove that people were at risk and we could just jump back, right? And then everybody, all the powers that be, 
that are supposed to keep everybody safe and handle this would jump in. And that's just not what happens. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not enough to show there's a problem. You have to create pressure and the political um, will within agencies and elected officials to actually address the problem. And, you know, especially now that we look at it from the other side, because there was a time in the beginning seven years ago where they were saying it wasn't an issue. And now, you know, as I said, those same people are saying it is now, you know, we came to realize that they knew all along it was an issue. Mm-hmm. There, there, we did not within that group of people open their eyes to something they didn't already know. Mm-hmm. They just the political pressure is there and now they are free to speak their mind and say, yes, you're right. There was an, there is an issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what, you know. Yeah. So, so there's a, there's a question. Larry Davis says, hello to you. You guys know Larry Davis. Uh, Yeah. He said there's, there is no substitute for grassroots organizing face-to-face meetings to educate and organize people. I'm reading this for folks who are not on zoom. Um, documenting facts, pressuring officials, uh, getting good media coverage, etc. So thanks, Larry. That was great. Um, and we do have a question, and then we can see if there's someone on the phone who, who might have a question. This question is, in what ways do you think that your privilege or lack thereof has affected your abilities to be successful activists? So, you know, now we're talking an awful lot about um, black and brown people and, and, you know, what's happening to them, not only at, at environmental justice in communities across the country, uh, contaminated sites, but also because they're targeted by COVID, right? They, they're, they're sicker because they're near more of these sacrifice zone uh, communities, and then you know, it, it's respiratory, and so then they end up with, um, you know, becoming more sick to, because of COVID. So, so do you feel like you were privileged because you, you, you are primarily white? Um, um, and, and what is, how, how do you answer that? How do you respond to that? I mean, I do think that we had a certain privilege being white going into, um, you know, we have low economic areas within the Superfund site here at Westlake. All, also within Coldwater Creek, where there's major contamination, which is predominantly a, um, you know, African-American community, mm-hmm. some of those areas. And, um, you know, while we think that we have what we're doing under control in our little community, we do know that it would be harder for us to go into the North County community and be white women, white moms going in and knocking on doors in an African uh, American African community that is dealing with just so much. I mean, the gun violence and the, you know, all of the stuff that's happening in these areas where, you know, we have moms that we've heard from that are, you know, afraid to let their kids out in their front yard because of drive-by shootings or, or whatnot. But then you you go in and you compound that with okay well and you also have this you know the silent killer that you know your kids could yeah. be exposed to um, and we've seen the hopelessness in their face you know and it's just it's a very frustrating situation mm-hmm. and I think I, I think being white cis females I think that we in 
in some of the places that we've been, you know, in Washington, D.C., I, yeah, I do think it was probably easier for us to get in front of elected officials. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm certain it was much easier for us to um, get, you know, media, both national, internet, some international and local media to focus when we did things, um, you know, and we have heard that um, from other communities where the community leaders were people of color, black and brown, moms and dads, you know, mm -hmm. you said something, Lois, when we were talking, you told a story about um, an individual who was a male and he was black and, you know, he was kept out of a meeting and he showed up and, you know, I had said to you, I had said, well, huh, I'd have just walked right on back. And you, you reminded me, I mean, you said, hey, <laughs> He was in Birmingham and he was a black male. You know, what you can do as a white female and what he can do threat wise is way different. And that, I mean, that kind of sat me back in my chair. I thought, oh, you're right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it is really hard. Um, so, so uh, there's another question that I think you actually, you guys do very well, which is how do you do this organizing and information and exchange and stuff like that in the middle of a pandemic? Um, you know, how, how do you keep your communications alive with your folks on the, on the ground, in the neighborhoods? So how are, how are you handling that? And do you have any ideas for others? Because we're all trying to figure that puzzle out. Social media for us has always been a big platform because it's free. Facebook is free. Mm -hmm. Although if you want to boost posts, you do have to pay. Um, so, but one of the things that we've taken advantage of with this pandemic because we're working from home is like you know meetings like this you know we're putting it up on the page it does if i'm going to go in person and meet with you the public doesn't really always have access like they do right now with what you're doing here you know this is so to some extent while isolating and we can't have our public meetings we can do facebook lives and we can participate in things like this where I think people get to actually, I don't want to say how the sausage is made, but you know what I'm saying. They mm -hmm. get to see kind of the behind the scenes and just how busy we are and how much time we spend still educating. So that is helpful. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a, a good question, Karen. Maybe you could add this to it because it's like, there's another question about do you use social media? So if you could go in deeper about how you use that social media, that would be really helpful. There's another question. It's just looking for a deeper kind of question. So I think that, you know, you need to utilize every media outlet there is on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, and, you know, and now Zoom or however, however you're going to hold your meetings or get your word out. One thing that I think that it's important is, even if you have only two people or five people that actually respond or that actually watch or don't get discouraged, you know, because that, that, that two people leads into four or 10 or 20 people that they tell. And that's one thing that Dawn and I had to learn early on was we'll, and we made a little pack that we'll never get discouraged. Even if we have a public meeting mm -hmm. and it's one person. We're still there to educate and talk, and we know that that's going to that's gonna get out even further. So same with social media, you know, five, five people retweet uh, something on Twitter, five more people, five more people, and, and it eventually, you know, it, it gets the word out. But you have to stay on top of it. 
we get no breaks from social media. It is 24 seven. It is, um, you know, you, you can't block people because you don't like what they're saying. You know, I mean, it is a lot of almost mm -hmm. kind of like babysitting, but um, it, it, it's a lot of interaction. Mm -hmm. oh, great. Great. So, so what were the specifics of your win and who's paying the cost of the cleanup? So, so you said you won and you want to clean up, but for people who aren't familiar with Westlake and, uh, and Bridgeton, can you tell us a little more about what that means and, and who's responsible and who's paying? Is, taxpayers? So we, when we say one, I, yeah, that's a funny word to use in this <laughs> situation because, you know, we, we've lost so much. We've lost our health and whatnot. You never really, it's never really a win, but for the sake of calling it, we, um, one of our top goals was a safe and permanent solution for the radioactive waste. And we did in 2018 have EPA um, administer a record of decision to remove up to 60% of that radioactive waste. Um, some of the most potent and dangerous um, locations that have been sitting on the surface of this landfill or in the middle of our community and some of the areas that are directly, um, you know, threatened by the fire. So, and one of the things that um, was difficult and still is difficult is it's not 100%. And I think for the purposes of this and the people that are on that live next to sites and have fought this, um, there really is no such thing as a 100% cleanup. You know, you're, you're fighting to get as much of it cleaned up and as safely mm -hmm. as they can do it, but it's really hard to... Um, Put it back in once Pandora's box has been opened at some of these sites and it's not that we don't deserve that and that's what's really tough is we all deserve the best mm -hmm. you know we a safe place to live but in our situation um, we have to settle with doing what we can to make it better it's never going to be 100% safe mm -hmm. so and, and lucky, lucky, lucky has we have responsible parties that are Paying. going to be paying for the cleanup so great right. kathy was asking where the waste would go so if you're having a cleanup what, what's what's gonna when they dig the waste up where does it go how are they gonna the waste it? the waste is gonna go um where all the radioactive waste from over 150 sites across the united states is going it's going to go to a federally licensed facility where the federal government locks it up and watches it from here on out because they are the entity that actually created this waste and you know for Karen and I we understand as I think many people do that when you're cleaning up toxins and stuff and you're putting them other places there may not be um, a safe place for this but there are safer places than where it is currently in the floodplain leaking into a community blowing all over us um, and so when we are having that discussion, it, it's hard because we're not dealing in absolutes here. You know, it's too mm -hmm. late for us and for all the other sites that have this waste to say, hey, there's no safe place to store it. That's too late because it's already in our community killing people. Mm -hmm. What we can say is we have to work together to find a better place to put it where it's not going to hurt people. So that's kind of where we are. Yeah, Kathy, Kathy was just following up with uh, uh, what other demands are you making on the government? Is 
Worker safety. Yeah. Worker safety is a huge one. You know, if if your workers who are working to clean up your sites and your toxic poison, if they are protected, so are you who live within the community. They are your first line of defense. And so um, that is that is something that we are focused on. Um, and so far that discussion's going really, really well. So, so Jennifer, why don't you unmute yourself and say what you put in the chat? Sure. Howdy, y'all. Here I Hi. am. Uh, hey. I'm Jennifer. I am from Colorado, and I address uh, Hard Rock Mines, uh, which also includes a lot of uranium, and we have nine uh, Umtrica uranium waste dumps, which are very similar to the Westlake landfill. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've always admired you guys. I admire your moxie. You know, I, I don't have time <laughs> to, like, follow everything. Detail, but I have been up against Cotter Corporation, and so have uh -huh. you. And I found them to be one of the most tricky of opponents. And I mean, they're excessively secret. They hire very expensive lawyers. God, are they hard to deal with? There's no paper trail because they're privately held. Um, we chased them out. Uh, they haven't fully pulled out yet, but uh, they're leaving. Um, Hey. Perhaps I had a little with that, yeah. but it was really the Canyon City group, uh, Colorado Citizens Against Toxic Waste. That They're amazing. Have dealt the heaviest blows. Yes. So I guess I'm just wondering if Cotter has showed signs of leaving your area. What kinds of tactics have you guys deployed through the years? I I'm just curious how your dealings with Cotter have been. Cotter is like. Yeah, you're right. They're unlike anything. Um, Republic, I think, was the most vocal opponent in that they started a front group. But the reality is, is Cotter used that as well. Cotter hid behind the scenes and pushed that group so that Republic had their name on it. But we knew, you know, as you just described, they're more sneaky, they're quieter, which means that often they're forgotten and overlooked. But, um, you know, you guys in Canyon City, for those listening, they got part of the waste that we had to deal with in St. Louis. It was illegally dumped up there. And then the leftovers, which they were too expensive to ship, ended up in our landfill. So we're kind of like related, you know, if, if you will. We're, but um, no, they're very difficult. They, um, they are going to have to pay a portion of this cleanup. The problem is in you know this, is that they're behind the scenes obviously negotiating to try and lessen their load that they have to pay for. And where we are lucky with Superfund is that, um, you know, there is a strong will to clean up our site. And so the EPA is not backing down with forcing them in as a PRP. They are truly locked in. They can't get out of that. It's just a question of what their percentage is. And then they work that out with the other polluters that are responsible. So we have a, a little bit of a different situation here that we've kind of lucked out on. You know, we, they're, they can't really finagle out of it. It's just, you know, but yeah, they're, they're a force to be reckoned with. They're tied to many law firms in St. Louis. You know, they donate to campaigns. I mean, 
Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for joining us, Jennifer. That was very, that was very uh, sisterly, I think. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so so there's, there's one, if we could do one more quick question. There's a question about fundraising. Um, and how did you do fundraising? And, you know, what, what does that look like? Oh, probably the hardest thing that we've had to deal with in this whole issue. Um, we have sold t-shirts. Mm -hmm. We have um, <laughs> most recently started writing for bunches of grants. <laughs> um, that's kind of been one of the things that we've been focused on for probably the past six months or so. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, GoFundMe donation buttons on all of our sites. Mm -hmm. um, just we've had a couple of organizations that have specifically did GoFundMe just for a trip for us to get to DC or, um, you know, just, just keep asking. Um, it's not our favorite thing to do. We don't like it at all. And <laughs> honestly, we really don't have time to do it, but um, we've had some people that have jumped in and started doing some restaurant fundraisers and stuff for us. So um, we are very slow to get on that bandwagon, um, but we're working on it. Part right. of that, too, was because of Cotter and the others. You know, when, you, when you're a grassroots organization, and of course you need funding, but when you start, the opposition comes in and says, oh, see, look, they just want to make money. They just, you know, there's that. And then, like Karen mentioned, there's the time. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes a lot of time to get the funds and... But you need money, so yeah, you got to do what you can do. Okay, well, thank you so much, Don and, and Karen. This is like our first thing. I think it was a success. Thank you um, for listening to Fighting to Win. To learn more about the Center for Health, Environment, and Justice and the communities we're working with, visit www.chej.org. Subscribe to Fighting to Win wherever you listen to podcasts and stay tuned for new episodes.